we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Hey, I want to say welcome to those that are online. Thank you for joining us uh, wherever you are located in the world. Uh, we just consider it a privilege that some, for whatever reason you have connected to us through this miracle of technology. And um, we hope that someday uh, if you live in a far, far place and you're coming through, you'll stop. Even during the week, just pop by and say hello. We'd love to meet you. If it's on weekend, we'd love to have you in worship and meet you personally. But thank you for connecting us wherever you are online. Those that are in the house, we know it's summertime. Uh, there are people moving in and moving out. Job locations. Uh, kids are looking for new schools. You're looking for new places to, to get your hair done for your dry cleaning, your grocery store. And, and some of you are looking for new church and there are lots of great churches around here so so many to choose from and so the fact that you would come here this morning and kind of give us a chance we 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 are humbled and uh, we appreciate the opportunity we'd love to meet you and connect with you uh, following this time we'll be out there in the crossing if you have your bibles i invite you to find the book of james it's at the very back of your bible we're just in week two of a series we're calling how do i and we're kind of working our walking our way through at a high level this little book called James. And I, I love this little book because it is an invitation. And I hope, you, I hope you're figuring this out if you're reading it. It is an invitation to get healthy and not waiting until you get to heaven, not waiting until you die and you go to eternity, but to get healthy right now in the presence of God, in the here and now, in the relationships that you are in here and now. That's what the book of James is. And I am, I've accepted the James challenge. I hope you have accepted that challenge. You can start this day today reading through chunks, and you'll be amazed at what you're going to discover about yourself and about God and about what you can grow on just by, by accepting this challenge of reading this little book over and over and over again. Now, last weekend, we started this whole series by learning how a different way to view trials. How do you look at hard times that we have in our life? And we didn't talk about it, but you and I really are a paradox. Our lives were a paradox. And that you and I, we all want to be happy. We hear it all the time. Pastor, I just want to be happy. And you and I pursue happy. In fact, you and I will pay to get happy. We'll go pay a therapist to help us get happy. We'll go pay for our kids to have this incredible experience, trying, hoping that our kids will get happy. I mean, we're all about getting happy. But yet, on the other side, we also want our kids, and we ourselves want to mature. We want to grow up. And some of you would say, I want to get stronger. Now, here's the paradox. You don't get stronger. You don't get more mature during the good times. It's during the hard times that you grow. It's during the hard times when things aren't going well that you mature, that you learn what it means to persevere. Now, there's a little verse in the Bible that we did not look at last week in, in our message, and I want to read it to you right now. It's in, verse it's in chapter 1, verse 12, and it looks like this. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life 
that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, sometimes people will ask you, read a verse, well, what does that mean? What is the crown of life? And what sort of joy is connected to the crown of life? Now, this is a little interesting biblical little term here, biblical uh, insight. That word crown in the crown of life in the Greek, and this is especially for our California friends who are watching online and for those that are California transplants in the house, this is a gift to you this morning, okay? It says right there, the word crown in the Greek is Stephanos. Stephanos, Stephanos, which is where we get the word Stephan. It's where you get the word Steph. In other words, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is in the Bible. Did you know that? I mean, that's exactly where that comes from to all you California friends and Golden State Warrior people. And the crown of life looks like this. A few weeks ago, Steph Curry was crowned the MVP again of the NBA. And man, if you were to saw, see that, I mean, he was just in pure joy, pure victory, pure celebration, just over the top. The Urban all this Magic Johnson Trophy goes to your very own. Stephen Curry. I mean, look at the joy. That's the crown of life. Just that smile on your face. That's what you have to look forward to. That, that is pure, pure joy right there. Now, on the other hand, you Maverick fans, all you've known is suffering. You don't know anything. Maverick fans know nothing really about the crown of life and about the joy of life. All you know is about the disappointment and the ongoing of, of all this Luca never really having the, the credit that he deserves. And you just feel this loneliness. And so, but, but Maverick fans take heart. You're building great character. Okay, and if you're a Cowboy fan, you're really building great character, right? I mean, you're really building, and that's really what the Scripture is talking about here, you know, in this way. So, okay, enough of that. We're, we're, We're changing gears here this morning, and we're changing to focus on what does it look like to get healthy in my relationships, particularly when it comes to regard of my mouth. How do I manage my mouth? in human relationships. Let's pray. All right, God, we have learned before we open up your word uh, to be very cautious and to open with the understanding that there's power in your word, that when you speak, life happens, that when you speak, new possibilities happen. When you speak, transformation can begin. And when you speak and we hear it and we receive it, you can begin to do a new thing in us, and we can begin to experience that painful thing called transformation. So we're asking you, God, to have your way with us as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a researcher by the name of Will Menninger, and doing some hard work, found that 80% of the people who lose their jobs lose their jobs not because of technical incompetence, but because of relational incompetence, emotional incompetence. They lose their job because either they, the employee, or their boss, or the culture of the company in which they work is emotionally and relationally inept. And as a result, there is dysfunction and lots of job movement and people quitting and people moving on and maybe you losing your job because of your own lack of awareness of yourself. 
If you practice the little verses that we're talking about right here this morning, you might be able to eliminate this from happening in your culture or in your own personal life of finding yourself looking for work after work after work after work because of your own emotional and relational incompetence. Another researcher found that most people who live lives of isolation and who live lives of loneliness live a much shorter life, that you will have a shorter lifespan. But if you practice the teaching right here, the little simple little direct teaching that James has this morning, you can eliminate isolation, possibly eliminate loneliness from your life and wind up living a lot longer and having a better quality of life. I am really glad that some of you are here this morning. I'm really glad that some of you have joined us online this morning. Because I'm just convinced, and I'm just going to believe strongly, that somebody's going to hear something from the word from the Lord this morning that is going to change the quality of your life in the here and now on this earth, and you're going to stop having this function of job, the job, the job, the job, the job, or in the company or business that you own, turn over, turn over, turn over, turn over, and some of you are actually going to live a little bit longer, and all of that's going to be a good thing. Before we get into our Bible verse, I want to make sure everybody understands this. I really want to do less preaching this morning and more teaching and more coaching, more guidance and more counseling. And everything that you're going to learn and hear about this morning are three things. They are memorable, they are portable, and they are doable. Memorable, I'm making a commitment to you that I'm confident right now that when you walk out of here this morning, you're going to have no doubt what this message was about. I'm going to try to make it so perfectly and simply clear that when you walk out, you're going to know what you're to do. Secondly, it is very portable. That what you're going to learn this morning is not reduced to one little area of your life. You can take it with you wherever you go in every aspect of your life in your marriage, in your family, in your work life, on vacation, going to the grocery store, picking up the dry cleaners, whatever. It is portable into every area of your life. Thirdly, it is doable. There's not a single person who can hear my voice right now, regardless if it's on Sunday or later on during the week, who can't do what we're about to talk about. Extrovert, introvert. Regardless of your personality, of your temperament, you can do what this says. So let's read the passage. Verses 19 and 20 is the heart of it for us this morning. We'll bounce around some. My dear brothers and sisters, chapter 1, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So you see, first of all, in that little passage of of verse 19, you will see uh, two slows and one quick. Two slows and one quick. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not even sure if you believe in God, and for sure you're not thinking if this Bible is worth reading at all, you think it's just a bunch of fairy tale stuff that's brought up, let me ask you, if this is you, you're welcome here, but let me ask you, 
Can you think of some people in your life that they would be really better off if they were slow to speak and they were quick to listen, even if they did not believe in what the Bible has to say, that that would be a true statement? I found myself in an ER room with some other people waiting and it seemed like it went on forever because there was another family with this lady in the, in the ER room, and she talked endlessly nonstop. We were trapped. No one could get a word edgewise. She just would not stop talking. And we learned more about her than we needed to know or wanted to know. We learned about her family. We learned about her extended family. We learned about her boss. We learned about where she worked. We learned about her plantar fasciitis. And she just would not stop talking. And finally, there came to a point where she noticed at times, oh, I got to go. And then she told us all the places that she had to go as she's walking out the door. I got to go to the grocery store. I got to go to the dry cleaners. I got to do this. And then she looked at her eight-year-old son who had not said a single word the whole time there. I mean, he couldn't. And she said, I've got to stop by the store and pick up a button for your father. And without missing a beat, straight out of his mouth, first thing that kid's ever said the whole time, he said, Mother, you need a button for your mouth. Now, I'm sure he heard that somewhere else, but I thought it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that kid just said what everybody else in the room wanted to say, and that got me to thinking, I think it'd be an awesome idea if that really happened, if there were buttons for people's mouths. I don't you think that's a, I mean, I think that'd be a great idea. I really do. In fact, I'm just wondering, with all the gizmos and gadgets and all the smart people we have in this church, I charge some engineer and some creative person to go create that and make that happen and become a jillionaire and give 99% to the church because it was our idea. Okay, that's what I'm trying. And I'm just saying that you would make this button and you would connect it to an app on a phone so you could just go, get and don't you think that's a great anybody besides me think that'd be a great idea yeah did I just lose my battery jack nope there we go I'm back okay all right the Bible thinks that's a good idea too let's put this on the screen the Bible thinks that's a good idea this is in Proverbs 17 those who are sure of themselves do not talk all the time people who stay calm have real insight after all, even fools may be thought wise and intelligent if they stay quiet and keep their mouths shut. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to wrestle with this, and we're going to talk about three primary things. And here's a question I would ask for some of you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you spoke too quickly and you regretted it. Where you opened your mouth and later on you went, oh, why did I open my mouth so quickly? Those words were so hostile. They were so harsh. They were so critical. They were so insensitive. They were so judgmental. They were so self-grandizing. They were so self-focused on me. It was just a bunch of flattery. Why did I stretch it? Why did I keep on talking? Has anybody done that at least once? Has anybody ever been slow to listen and ever regretted it? Well, you got yourself in a situation where you thought, you know what, in this moment right here, 
I'm just going to laser in and I'm going to listen so carefully to every single third person, every single word. And not just the words, I'm going to get in touch with what they're feeling, with what they're emotionally experiencing. And just, I'm just really going to dial in. Have you ever done that? And later on gone, golly Moses, I cannot, man, that was a waste of time. I was so patient. I was so empathetic. Oh, I regret doing that. Has anybody here ever regretted that? So I'm telling you right here, this right here is practical wisdom, godly wisdom for healthy relationships. And you won't regret it if you practice it. So I'm going to go over these three commands, very simple. I'm going to fill them out, kind of drill them in where you really get the concept of why it's so important. And then I'm going to give you one word that's in this text that's kind of hidden that's kind of a little biblical teaching that makes this text so subversive in this, in this day and time that they would go, man, they would, I could not believe how excited they were about this, about this scripture. Okay, so here's the first one. Let's start here. Let's start with number one, be slow to speak. Now, if you're an extrovert, you hate this command because it says you are to be a slow talker. And if you're an extrovert, you may be thinking, okay, so is James saying that people who are introverted are more spiritually mature? I'll just let that question sit there. I don't think so. But if you're an introvert and you're thinking that, let me flip the opposite. Do not take this so literally here. You can be someone who doesn't speak quickly and say a lot, and you can still be condescending and be judging a relationship, such as somebody comes to you and they says, will you help me? <sighs> yeah. And you just communicated a whole lot of all negative sorts of, even though you did not speak too quickly. So, so those of you who are introverts, don't think, man, I'm just going to skate by here. I got this by because I don't talk a whole lot anyway, because that's not what the scripture is saying at all. Here's what James is really saying here. Allow God to manage your mouth. And so you add to your prayer life, God, here, I'm praying before you, God. I stand before you, God. I, I want to I surrender my life to you, God. I'm surrendering my mind, my heart, my body, everything about me, God. And this morning, I'm also surrendering to you my mouth. Help me to manage my mouth in all the ways that's personified out of my life. Church, it never ceases to amaze me the number of people who lack self-awareness of their verbal behavior. And verbal behavior is not just how the words come out of their mouth, but it's how they communicate with their bodies and with their posting and with all other sorts of stuff. Totally unaware of what they are communicating that other people experience it's a beyond the actual content of what they think they're communicating. This week, I'm going to ask you to do a little self-assessment on this particular issue. And to help you, I want to give you a few signs that you can think about to see if you're someone who speaks too quickly. 
And the first thing I will say is that you're someone that when you speak, every time, every once in a while, you look at, if you notice the people who are listening to you, their eyes are getting glazed and you look like there's nobody there and they're focused on you, but they're looking somewhere else. You might be someone who speaks too much and too quickly. If you're someone who's talking, and while you're talking, the person in front of you is moving away, very slowly moving away, and you find yourself walking with them, almost have to physically restraining them so you can finish what you're saying, you may be someone who talks a little bit too much, a little bit too quickly. If you're someone here in the house... I'll give you watching online a break. If you're in the house and you're talking right now while I'm talking, you're talking to the person next to you, he's talking about you. Oh, he's talking about you. You might be someone who talks too much and who quickly tries to get into your words out of your mouth. Isn't it interesting how somebody who talks a lot, having a conversation, Everybody in the circle knows this one person is talking too much, except that person. Everybody ever knows that? So I'm asking you to do a little self-assessment on yourself and say, is that me? And if that is you... I want you to picture a big old stop sign in front in your brain. And when you become aware, you ask yourself this question. Here's a question to ask yourself. Listen, when's the last time I heard somebody else's voice besides my own? And if you think, it's been a while, see the stop sign and just stop. Just mid-sentence, just Maybe this week you're going to practice not interrupting other people. There are some people who have this spiritual gift, who have this habit, this addiction of finishing the sentences or the thoughts or ideas that coming out of other people's mouths. There are some of you who have kids or some of you have spouses, some in your family, they have not finished a sentence ever since they've been in a relationship with you. And they're just waiting for the opportunity. So this week, I would encourage you to stop and to ask yourself all sorts of questions. Am I someone who interrupts? Am I someone who's really not paying attention to what they're saying? I'm just waiting for them to breathe so I can get in there. And if this is you, I will ask you to ask this question. Why do I talk too much? Why? Why do I talk so much? Am I anxious? Am I nervous? Am I worried about what other people think? Am I needing attention? Is my esteem so low I need affirmation from others? Do I need to control the situation because I'm afraid if I'm not talking, things will get out of control? Do I need people to know how smart I am? Why do I talk so much. I was in a car with a bunch of guys. We've been asked to go years ago to go pick up a guy from the airport and bring him to a meeting that we were all going to. He was going to be a keynote speaker. And we thought we were privileged to go pick him up because we were going to get to, to be with this guy. And here we all kind of looked up to him. And we couldn't wait to hear this guy talk. So we got into the car 
And we, we didn't get to hear the guy talk very much because there was one guy in the car who just kept on peppering the guy with questions and not even giving him time to answer. And everybody wanted to kill this guy except me because I was the guy. <laughs> I was so excited <laughs> to meet this guy that I got diarrhea of the mouth and was just and I needed somebody with a shock collar to go, Rick. Stop talking, Rick. Stop talking, Rick. Stop talking. Some of us really struggle in certain seasons of our life with this. And the Bible makes it clear. Another proverb, Proverb 10. Can you pop it up there? The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. If you are wise, you will just keep quiet. There's a Christian author by the name of Frederick Beekner. He wrote a little book called Godric. And in this book called Godric, he described this man who could not stop talking. He just talked all the time. And he's so eloquent in his writing. I hate to read to you, but I, I just want to read this little section from this book. It is awesome. Uh, here it is. Words came spilling out of him. He didn't care a fig for what he talked about. He'd prattle till the spittle gathered at the corners of his mouth. And if you make him move a flea, there'd come to his eyes a haunted look, and he'd prattle all the faster. So you'd find no chink to flee him through. Words were the line, listen to this, words were the line that moored him, that connected him to the world, I think, and he thought, if ever the line should break, he'd be forever cast adrift. See, the truth of the matter is he was afraid of being alone. And so he talked nervously to stay connected to people. But the more he talked to people, the more he pushed them away. The more he talked, the more he drove them away. And the more afraid he got of being alone. So he talked all the more. And he talked incessantly. And he wound up having exactly what he didn't want, being alone. This command right here, be slow to speak. It's not about behavior modification. Somebody needs to hear this. This is not about behavior modification. This is about your soul. Because there's something perhaps within your soul that you are not at peace with yourself. You are not content in being just alone with you and your thoughts and with God. And you're not at peace. Maybe this week you're going to ask God, God, could it be, could it be that I talk so much because there's something I'm not aware of in my soul? Would you begin to heal my soul as you manage my mouth? Here's the second one. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Hey, this is going to be hard for most people. This is really a hard one because listening is an act of servanthood. It's an act of humility because when I'm listening to someone, I'm putting aside my own agenda. When I'm truly listening, I'm putting aside my chance to show people how much I know and all the things that I need to do and I want to get done and what I want to accomplish. When I listen to someone, I'm putting aside my need to control everything and control impression management of what people think about me. Listening is hard. But we have a good example because when you read the Bible, the personhood of God, the one who is our example, the scripture calls God, God one is one who listens. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, 
I will hear. God hears every prayer. God hears every cry. God notices every broken heart. God is aware of everything you are saying, you are thinking, you are feeling. We have a God who hears. The people of Israel, they oriented their whole family around one verse in the Bible. We call it the Shema, and here is why. It's Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. We'll put it on the screen. What's the very first word? first word is what? Hear. Hear. Not talk. Hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so their whole lives were oriented on hearing, on listening, being quiet, waiting for God to speak. And then Jesus comes along. And then Jesus shows up, and he's the master of noticing people that nobody else notices. In Matthew chapter 10, there's this guy that comes up. We call him the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got a question for you. He said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be perfect? Jesus gave him an answer, and the guy didn't like the answer. He could not like what the conversation was going. And I love this very next little verse. It's hidden right there, a little sentence in verse 20. We'll put it on the screen. And the scripture says, he looked at him, and he just loved him. He didn't talk. He looked at him. And I started wondering, what would would that have been like if you were that guy? That Jesus just stopped talking and he looked at you. And you just felt that he loved you. And I began to wonder, what would it be like in our conversations with people that you interact with? That you're just listening, you're not talking, I mean, you're really listening to what they think and to what they feel and the way they are. And when they see your bottle and they see your eyes, they just know, no, they just love me. What would that do for your kids? What would that do for your grandkids? What would it do for your marriage? If they could just tell the way you looked at them, that you love them. See, Jesus was the master in so many ways when it comes to listening. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is he asked great questions. In fact, somebody needs to write this down. Great leaders ask great questions. Great leaders ask great questions, and then they just listen. Jesus asked great questions, and then he just listened. What do you want? Why do you call me good? He asked his disciples, hey, guys, tell me, why are you arguing? Stop talking. He turned to Peter three times. Do you love me? Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus was the master of asking questions. And I think I know why he asked questions. He asked questions of the prostitutes. He asked questions of the tax collectors. He asked questions of the fishermen. He asked questions of the religious leaders and the elite and the Roman centurions. And he asked him questions because he was more interested in hearing what they had to say and learning about them than just hearing himself talk. And not only that, I believe he asked great questions because Jesus understood something. That people grow more when they get a great question instead of when you give them a great answer. When you read the Bible, anybody have any idea how many questions Jesus asked in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Turn to your neighbor and give them a guess. Tell, tell, them, tell your neighbor how many questions you think Jesus asked in the Bible. Just turn to your neighbor, pick a guess. Just take a quick guess. How many questions do you think? Somebody actually counted them. It's in a book called Jesus the Question. 307. 
You know how many of them he answered? Three. He asked 307 questions. He counted. He only answered three. Because Jesus understood that people grow not when you give them the right answer. They grow when you give them the right question, and they think and process and wrestle with it. But so many Christians, we want to be the person who have the right answer. I want to have the right answer. I want to be validated. I want to know. I want people to know that I know, and I got it right. And the truth of the matter is, people grow the most in your circle when you learn how to ask the right question. So I would ask you this week, will you do that this week in your relationships? How's your heart? What are you reading? How's your work going? How's your family? How's your health? What are you doing to take care of yourself? What are you doing to feed yourself? Just in general, how are things going? Hey, I've been thinking about you. How could I pray for you? How could I encourage you? Just ask questions and then listen. And there's one more thing that Jesus did that was great in this category of being uh, quick to listen. Jesus understood there are some things that human words cannot communicate. But in the right moment, touch can. A hand on the shoulder at the right moment. A hug from a safe and trusted person can say more than any words out of the mouth. It's amazing. Jesus understood the power of touch. There was this leper, and this leper comes up, and uh, he asked Jesus, could you heal me? He just knew he could kind of look, I want to be healed. And the law says you can't touch him. Jesus could have spoken and said, be healed. He just reached out and There was an old song my Aunt Maggie used to sing. That's my mom's younger sister. If you're watching mom and you're with dad in the, in, in the rehab, I'll call you after a while, mom. But I remember you and my and Aunt Maggie singing this song together. And Aunt Maggie always took the lead. And here was a song right here. We'll put it up here on the screen. Some of you may know it. Shackled by heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. But then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I'm no longer the same. Because he touched me. And the disciples, parents, and bring their babies to Jesus. And they would say, Jesus doesn't have time for the babies. He doesn't have time for the kids. And he'd reach down and pick them up. Put his hands on them, the scripture says. And he blessed them, not with words, but with the touch when you read the Bible, blessing is passed down from grandparents to kids, to grandkids, to great-grandkids, not through words, but through the blessing of healthy, appropriate touch. How you doing? Here's the last one. Be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Now, I want to do this. I want to put these on the screen. Will you please repeat them for me? Because I want you to, I told you, you would remember this and you know what it is. I want you to say these with me. Yeah, you got, she's slow to anger. But repeat these three with me. Be, say with me out loud. Ready? Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Be slow to anger. My nose to lasting. It doesn't say never get angry. It just says be slow to anger. It doesn't say never. Because 
the scriptures know and God knows that sometimes when you and I get angry, we get crazy. And the angrier you get, the crazier that you get. So there's a guy who met this girl online to go out on a date to have coffee for the preliminary date. They say, yeah, you're, you're safe. Yeah, you're safe. Let's go out and move. So they went on an official date and they went to a movie. In the middle of the movie, the woman starts texting. The guy gets irritated. Would you please stop texting? She didn't stop texting. She just continued to refuse. She texted throughout the entire movie. When the movie was over, he was so ticked, he asked her to give him the money back for her ticket. <laughs> she said no. He sued her and took her to court to get $16.32 from her, and then she countersued. They're in court because they both got mad over a ticket in a stinking movie. How crazy is that? Now, to be very clear, it is not a criminal offense to text in a movie. You can text during a message. It's not a criminal offense either. It's a sin. (laughs) But you can't go to jail for it. Jesus doesn't like it. In fact, he is upset when he sees that stuff going on back and forth and everything. But, but, But it is not a sin. But Jesus is very clear. Be careful about how you handle and manage your anger. And James has something to say about it. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Look at that again. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And all of the New Testament theologians will tell you they do not believe that that is metaphorical. They had no police department. They had no law enforcement. Murder was rampant. Because people were angry. They didn't get what they wanted. And in the same, things have not changed. Things aren't worse. They're just the same. That every week... Every week, you and I hear someone who has lost their cool, have gone over the edge, whose anger has gotten out of control, and they kill someone. A brother, a child, a neighbor, a spouse, a friend. We hear about it every day. You do not have, you get angry, and so you kill and some of us here in the church get all holy roller about it. And we say, you know, there's in the world, there are people that are, that are in the world, and they kill people, and those are the bad guys. And these over here are the people that don't kill people, and they're the good guys. And I don't kill somebody. That makes me the good guy. But when you read the Bible, that's not what the Bible says at all. Jesus has something to say for people who hang on to bitterness, who hang on to anger, who hang on to resentfulness, who hang on to unforgiveness, to hang on refusing to love people. He says, I got something to say to you that you are spiritually and morally bankrupt. You think you're all that? You're not. You are morally bankrupt yourself. And if you're someone here who can hear my voice online or in the house, and some years ago or recently, it's kind of fresh, DWI, you killed somebody, manslaughter, or for any other crime that you've been convicted, and you've been in penitentiary, you've been in prison, I want you to know you need the church. The church is for you. 
in the process of healing and reconciliation and restoration, it may take a long time. But the church is for anybody. It is somebody who has found himself in that sort of uncontrollable situation. Because in the church, nobody's perfect. And everybody's welcome. Because God has something to say for everybody. Nobody is so lost that God can't redeem and save. The church is for you. And he's very clear, though, about this anger thing. Did anybody see this past week what happened on Thursday night in the Stanley Cup playoff game when it was over and the Tampa Bay Lightning actually won at New York against the Rangers, which hadn't happened in eight games because they had just won one after Madison Garden. And they're gonna have, we have this little video clip. We have this Tampa Bay Lightning fan that was there in New York walking out, and look what happens. A Ranger fan, boom! Knocked him out. Anger. Out of control. That thing went viral. And you hear the guy saying, oh, no, this is going to go viral. It did. I got an idea. When you walk out the door, we're going to have a drone follow you. <laughs> and we're going to take video of you all week. Of every cutting remark, every time you lose your temper. And when you come back to worship, we're going to put it on the screen so everybody can see. Like that idea? We're not going to do that. We could. Just putting the fear in you. We could, but we're not going to do that. But that's why God says, be careful about your anger, because we don't see, but God sees. God sees. God knows. And that's why, that's why he says over here in the scripture so clear, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger makes a mess of things. It just ruins things human anger does. But why does it qualify human anger? Because there's another kind of anger. It's the anger of God. And God gets angry when violence happens in young lives and children like in Uvalde are destroyed or in Buffalo, New York, people are just killed at random. And when the least of these are overlooked and depressed and downtrodden, God gets angry, but God's anger is not manifested in causing bad things to happen to everybody and vengeance and wrath and wiping people out. We see God's anger in the cross of his anger against sin that gives hold of people and destroy him and his love for sinners. In 2 Corinthians, we are told that he was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It's at the cross. So this week, if you're someone who has trouble with explosive anger, I just want to ask you, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. And if you're someone who pouts and passive aggressive and gets quiet and you just punish people with your silence, ask God to help you. That's not God's design for the relationship you have in your life. 
Now, I'm aware of the time, and we need to wrap this thing up. So I'm going to tell you quickly what this word is and tell you why it is here. And some of you are going to read this word, and you wouldn't even notice it. But I'm going to tell you what the word is, the subversive word. It's in verse 19, and the word right there is everyone. It's in the middle of the text. My dear brothers and sisters, make note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. And that's why this is so subversive. Social scientists have discovered there is a relationship between people who are in power and who talk alike. And the more in power you have, the more you are allotted words to speak. And the greater your power, the more control you have over other people with your words. And that was a rule. You could do that. So the rich Romans, the rule was because you're in power, you talk all you want. You don't have to be slow to speak at all. And here was the rule. If you're poor, you've got to be slow to speak. If you're a peasant, if you're a kid, if you're a woman, you've got to be slow to speak. But then Jesus shows up, and his brother James washed him. He said, no, no, there's a new rule. Everyone, everyone, everyone be slow to speak. Just because you're a CEO or you're a male doesn't give you any right to talk more. Everyone. One, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And we really have this in the example of Jesus, who on the cross, when he is being crucified, and the hurling insults at him, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. He didn't even speak. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor, what is Jesus doing right here? He's doing what he did the whole time. He's identifying with those who have no voice, with those who have no power, who those who can't speak. That's who he's identifying. He did that his whole life. The scripture says he was rich. He became poor. He was God. He emptied himself and became a servant. He was the Logos, the Word made flesh. He was silent. Said nothing. Like a sheep being led to the slaughter, the scripture says. James, you got to love James. He watched his brother suffer and then he died. Here's your final message point. Let everyone, everyone, including me, Everyone, including me, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And this week, I ask God to help you. Now, there's one other passage. There's one other passage in this text that is so critical that if you don't get it and you do not understand it, you will miss out probably on eternity and the destiny for your life. But I can see your eyes are glazing over, so I'm going to end right now. And you got to come back next week. You'll stand for the closing prayer. God, we give you thanks that in Jesus the Word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Forgive us, God, for how our words aren't always full of grace and so often not full of truth. We surrender our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and our mouths 
to you. Help us, Lord. Help us manage them. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.